Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Sound with the Program. 974-8255 is our telephone number. A lot more still to come uh, in the Sound, including the latest on the fiscal update uh, that Finance Minister Bill Morneau has just tabled in Ottawa. But up the top in this hour, fascinating new book uh, about Canada's gold medal at the 1948 Winter Olympics which is much more than just a historical footnote. The 48 Olympics were kind of weird. There was a lot of controversy around a redefinition of what an amateur athlete was, and then there was controversy. The Americans tried to send two teams to the Olympics, and the whole tournament almost ended up getting canceled. So Canada wasn't going to send a team, uh, but they did. Ultimately, the RCAF Flyers. But the way this team came together the way they managed to pull off the impossible is a story that maybe Canadians should know but don't. And it's the subject of a new book. A new book. It's called Against All Odds, The Untold Story of Canada's Unlikely Hockey Heroes. Joining us on the line, uh, the author of this book, which is uh, on sale as of today, P.J. Nowarinsky joins us. P.J., welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Rob. Great to be here. What struck you about this story? What, what got you interested in, in writing this book in the first place? You know, I... Um I played hockey as a kid uh, growing up in North Toronto, just like pretty much everybody did um, in the 70s. And um, I knew a lot about hockey. I was sort of passionate about the sport. And I had never heard of this story. And I, I, I work in television making documentary films was my career. And um, when the producer I was working for, who I'd worked on other things with, called me one day and said, hey, you're into hockey, PJ. I got this story that the Canadian Morale and Welfare Services had contacted him about. And um, what do you think, you know? And he started telling me about the Flyers and the men on this team and their sort of meteoric rise to capture the gold in St. Moritz. And I was like, I had no idea that this happened. And the, um, the individual stories of the men and where they came from and why they did this and how they were you know, the ultimate underdogs, you know, the bad news bears uh, have nothing on these guys. And it was like, oh, my God, I, I have to tell this story. This is like my grandfather and uh, and any other guy that I knew from that era. They would love this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I was just captivated as soon as I dove into it and started talking to the remaining men who were still alive. Yeah. Well, as you say, I mean, there's so many different dynamics to the story. I mean, there was just, you know, all the controversy around the Olympics and from what I understand, the, the tournament, the hockey tournament itself was almost canceled. And uh, that whole story and, you know, the underdogs uh, winning the gold. Uh, the fact that this comes just, you know, a few years, just two, three years after the end of World War II. I mean, there, there's so much drama around all of this. Oh, yeah. And it's sort of, you know, we just assume that hockey's our game and we've always dominated and we always will dominate, you know. And and it was once I got started, I was like, oh, I didn't know Canada won gold and every previous Olympics, except for 36, before the war, when the Brits won using Canadians. 
you know, like, oh, yeah, we'll just use all these Canadian boys on our British team and take the gold. And then when after Canada having proven itself, you know, we stepped up to the table uh, in war. We rose to become the fourth largest air force in the world we, with only 12 million citizens. We proved ourselves as this emerging nation. In 47, we finally got our identity as Canadian citizens because of, you know, up to that time, um, seeing the names, you know, British subjects on the gravestones was when Paul Martin Sr. went, you know, this isn't right, you know. And so he took it to Parliament so that we could become Canadian citizens. And here we are with the first chance post-war to kind of in, in good spirit compete on the world stage. And Canada wasn't going to send a team. And so that's why the, the nation was truly outraged. Like when the papers came out, you know, this wasn't something I realized until I started doing the research. But it's like there was major furor about the fact that we weren't going to send a team. You know, we had shed blood and we were our own nation this is our sport we need to get the gold back because the brits got it using canadians and everyone else is dominating on the world stage in world hockey it's time for us to sort of go back and say hey you know it's canada we're back and uh we weren't going to send a team and that's when the rcf said you know this is nuts we're going to send a team we'll send a team of fly boys and um and they did, and there was, they were not um, met with huge applause at first. You know, there were lots of critics who thought this is a big mistake. You know, we're gonna we're gonna become a national embarrassment if you send a bunch of hobbled old war guys out there. We should send a proper team or no team. All right. Now, I mean, look, these guys existed as a team, the RCAF Flyers. I believe they won the Allen Cup um, in 1942. Yeah, but they couldn't send those guys. That's the whole thing, right? They Is that couldn't. Right? Yeah, because of the new, and that's why Canada, the CAHA wasn't going to send a team, was because there was this new definition of amateur, what constitutes an amateur. So any player who ever had received any sort of any compensation for playing hockey could no longer be deemed as an amateur. So, and, and there was lots of talk within hockey circles and political circles that, you know, lots of countries and players would be, you know, signing the oath, but, but you know, skirting the reality of the fact that they were getting stipends or getting salaries or whatever. They weren't pros. And so for Canada, the whole thing was, you know, we're going to have to send a team of midgets or juvenile players because, you know, when guys play on the Allen Cup teams and these other teams, they're getting money. They're getting some sort of compensation to play. So that's why the CHA thought, you know, we just can't send a team. Because we can't, we can't agree to these rules. So they had to go out and, and find guys. <laughs> they had to go out and find guys who had never in any way been paid one nickel or received any compensation for playing, which is why they went, the Sandy Watson, when he saw the paper, went, ah, when he was overseas and he was putting together teams of guys that were waiting to be repatriated to play like shinny hockey against the British teams that existed in the British league, just for guys to keep busy. And after the war, he went, there's a, you know, there's a ton of Canadians who all grew up playing hockey. Surely within the 12,000 men in the RCAF still active in service, I'll be able to, in a few weeks, cobble together a team of guys. And, and Brooke Claxton, who was the Minister of Defense, who was a rabid hockey fan, was adamant that Canada should send a team, and he wanted to send a military team. 
and uh, the Air Marshal Wilf Curtis and Dave McKell, these top-ranking RCF guys, when Sandy, in the course of like an afternoon, reacted to the newspaper article, they all like pulled together and went, absolutely, we'll put some RCF like resources behind this. Let's get some boys in blue in uniform and get them, you know, get them together. Get a couple. They only had a few weeks to pull it together, and um, and show the world that we can play hockey. Even just guys we pull out of the earth first can play hockey. Well, and so they pulled these guys together. They managed to have enough for, for a team, although there was, and you talk about it in the book, and who ended up uh, going down in the history books, uh, but their goalie was not even their, their original first choice for, for goalie. No, absolutely not. And, I mean, the thing that I love so much about this story is, like, each of the there's 20 men who made up the team you know 17 players back then they didn't have a they only had to they were only allowed to dress 10 plus one for the actual olympics and they could field a team of 17 men and so each of these guys that came from all corners of the globe and flew in on rcf planes to come to the tryouts in ottawa each of these guys has an incredible backstory to tell and, um, you know, before the games. But Murray, his story is just, uh, he's this scrawny, asthmatic kid in Toronto who doctors told his parents he'll never amount to anything. He only started playing hockey in goalie because he could skate so poorly. And so when he saw other kids who were skating up and down the rink and, and or the outdoor rinks in Toronto and the pond ice, he was like, I could be that guy in net. So he put the pads on and, and he had really fast reflexes. And also, he played baseball, and he played baseball really well. That was his main sport as a pitcher. And so he had a wicked glove hand. And at 11, you know, he's one of the guys who, with a few friends, kitted out his baseball mitt and um, turned it into the first trapper glove uh, <laughs> because he caught so well. And the way Murray gets on the team is he's the, the goalie that the RCF had originally put in the pipe plan to put in the pipes as the starting goalie, a guy named Dick Ball who played for in Toronto. I think he might have played for the University of Toronto. Um, he, um, yeah, they, they had to do a physical before they were going to send these guys overseas for three months. And um, Dick Ball failed his medical because they saw a spot on his lungs and they thought he had cancer. So they couldn't send him. So less than 24 hours before the team's supposed to get on a boat the Queen Elizabeth and sailed to London to Southampton. Um, Sandy Watson asked some of the guys on the team who they know. And a few of the boys from Toronto knew this kid, Murray, who was a skinny, scraggly, asthmatic. I mean, <laughs> and but he was a good goalie. And so Sandy and Frank Boucher had to take a leap of faith. And Murray gets a call at 11 o'clock at night while he's sleeping with his wife He's about to go to work the next morning for the TTC as a typist. And it's Sandy calling saying, you know, I need you to get on a plane tomorrow. We're sending a plane to down to you. You're going to, would you like to play hockey for team Canada at the Olympics in St. Moritz? And um, you'll be gone for 90 days. And Murray's, you know, astounded, honored, but uh, no way I can play. I have a job. Um, my boss will fire me. I, have a, I can't. So Sandy, being the tough, 
tough as nails, kind of take the bull by the horns kind of guy that Sandy was. Um, he says, don't worry, just start packing your bags. I'm going to call Alan Lamport. I know Alan, and he was the commissioner of the TTC back then. And he called a few other high-ranking uh, people and called Murray back at about 1.30 in the morning and said, get to Downsview, the plane will be there at 5.36. You're, you're coming out to Ottawa, you jump on the train, and you're coming with us. And so, you know, poor Murray grabs his stuff, rushes to the airport, um, the plane's fogged in, can't make it, so he has to jump a train. It's a milk run. By the time he gets to Ottawa, he's soaked and exhausted, hasn't slept for a day, and and he's on a boat and he's over to Europe. No one's seen him play. The guys on the team, aside from a few guys, don't know who this kid is. He's come out of nowhere. He's not an Air Force guy. Murray was in the army, um, so he got, you know, brought in and, and signed in to the Air Force because they had to make that official, and um, and then he consistently starts to astound the guys who are on his team because, and I only learned that Murray was half blind in one of his eyes on my third interview with him. We're <laughs> like, wait a minute. So you're asthmatic. You tried to be a paratrooper. They laughed you out. The doctor said your parents should take you to Arizona because you have such weak lungs. Um, and you, you, you spent your time in the war sort of, because he was a great hockey player and a baseball player, they ended up using him to sort of entertain troops, and he worked as a clerk because he wasn't a big, strong, strapping guy like most goalies. Um, but he was fast, and he had wicked hands. And he only told me, you know, at 90, like he never told his coaches, he never told guys in the Army when he was being recruited that he couldn't see out of one of his eyes because he got flashed by a stick when he was 15, and he's like, has partial vision. And he turns out to be the best goalie who's ever played in the Olympics. His, his goals against average has never been beaten. And he only didn't get six shutouts because he screwed up against the game against Italy, made a boneheaded mistake, which still haunts him to this day. That's crazy, PJ. Uh, stand by. We'll take a quick break here. PJ Nowarinsky on the line with us. His book, Against All Odds, The Untold Story of Canada's Unlikely Hockey Heroes. We're back after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.